The day of the Lord, the seven stars and candlesticks, the twenty-four elders, the four living creatures, the seven spirits of God, the keys to death and hell, 144,000, the days of the Lord. These are all biblical terms, and yet many cannot define them. We will analyze these phrases and many more on this edition of The End Time Show. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with The End Time Show and End Time Ministries, and thank you so much for joining me today. I know that many of you are Bible students, teaching Bible studies, wanting to know more, Sunday school teachers, uh, wanting to know more, maybe a pastor, wanting to teach some of these things in the Bible, but there are many terms in the Bible that a lot of people simply don't understand. How do I define this? And when you read through there, sometimes you just scratch your head and just go on, right? Because I don't really know how to define these terms. So, in these next couple segments, I wanted to define many of the terms in the Bible. I mean, I can talk about world government, world religion, the mark of the beast, all these different things going on in the world, global numbering systems and the peace agreement. And, but when you're reading your Bible, which is where all of this comes from, if you don't really understand everything you're reading, then we really want to help you with that because it, it's very difficult, right? I mean, I've been there. And I had to go somebody and, to uh, somebody and ask them, what does this mean? Help me. I want to figure this stuff out. But wow, some of these terms, I just don't have a clue. So we want to come before you today and present some of these things and help you to define them, many terms, so that way, as we go through there, we mention it on the air. You read it in our magazine, or if, or if you're just studying for a Bible study, or for a Sunday school class, or maybe a sermon that you're going to go to the pulpit with next Sunday, then it helps you when you can understand these terms. So in the next couple segments, I'm going to do, I'm going to cover as many of these as I can. So that way you can understand, and it helps you to teach others. So the first one would be the term... Alpha and Omega beginning in the end. What in the world was John talking about when he was talking about the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end? Well, if you remember in Revelation, this would be Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 8. John was told to write, The things which thou hast seen, that would be Revelation uh, 1, 19. And then in Revelation 1, 8, God reveals to John who he is. And there should be no confusion here. We're reading about the one who is the first begotten from the dead, which is obviously Jesus. And yet the verse goes on to say, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. You've heard that term in the Bible. Who is that? What's that talking about? It says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Jesus revealed Himself to John 
as the Almighty. Well, who's this talking about? Well, it's talking about God. Jesus is telling John that He is God manifest in the flesh. He didn't want there to be any gray areas here. He wanted John to know specifically who He was. Now, uh, the next term would be the Lamb of God. And ask yourself, before I give you the definition, can I define these terms? I've read these many times, but can I define them? Well, the Lamb of God depicts Almighty God becoming a man. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world, right? In Revelation 5, we see uh, things in heaven before God became a man. Then a lamb, the Bible says, um, then a lamb stood in the midst of the throne, which is a depiction of Almighty God becoming a man to take away the sins of the world. This happened over 2,000 years ago, even, even before the book of Revelation was written. And the events of Revelation 6, they began around 300 A.D. and continued throughout history. And therefore, the Bible could record things happening in John's time, then record things which must shortly come to pass. Because John's seen a vision of the future ahead of him. And then after this prophecy of events that were far into the future and some that were yet to occur just within a few hundred years of when John was here. So it helps you when you understand some of these term terms in the Bible. Then you can say, okay, I know who he's talking about, what's going on here, about when this is going to happen. But if you don't understand the definition of these terms or who was speaking, then you can say, man, I don't really know. It's kind of a gray area. I'm not really um, understanding this. So how can you teach it to others? Those of you that are teaching Bible studies or a Sunday school class, uh, many different reasons. Or if you're just in your own personal studies, I want to know some of these things. So the next term I want to go to is the day of the Lord. The term, the day of the Lord, is used throughout Bible prophecy as the day when Jesus Christ will return to this earth, and overthrow the thrones uh, of, the, of the men and, the, and of world government. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 11 at the seventh trump that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. God is coming back plant his feet on the Mount of Olives and do away with the thrones or the governments of men and he's going to execute wrath upon the people of the earth. Now, not everybody because there will still be people here on earth who are born again. The Bible says at the time of the rapture, the dead in Christ will rise first, rise first, then we who are alive and remain. So the wrath of God is not poured out upon everybody on the earth. But this is the time when we will crown Him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's His triumphant entry. And, but it's also that this is the day of the Lord when He will pour out His wrath. Isaiah 13, 6 says, Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come to pass as a destruction from the Almighty. Joel chapter 2, verse 31. Then shall... 
the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. The prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah 14.1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. This is referring to the day of the Lord. The passage goes on to say, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. This will happen at the second coming, which is also known as the day of the Lord. So we're defining specific terms in the Bible to help you understand, and then you can teach others so that way we can understand the scope of everything. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can't enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com future or call 800-END-TIME. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. When we're talking about the day of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So once you understand these terms, and it helps you to understand the timing, understand what the event is, what will transpire, maybe it's localized, maybe it's, maybe it's globally, and we know that if you understand the lesson of the seven vials of the wrath of God, the day of the Lord is the day of God's wrath, which is Revelation chapter 16. And it, it proves, we can prove using Revelation 16 that the, and some other scriptures that are tied in there, that the wrath of God is localized right to uh, the nation of Israel and the armies that will come down against Israel to battle. 
And so it's very important that we understand the day of the Lord. Did the day of the Lord happen thousands of years ago or is it a future event? Well, we know if you go down through all the verses that it is a future event. And it's not very far off now. So the next term I want to, go to define is the term caught up. Because many people say, well, hey, you guys talk about the rapture all the time, but the word rapture is not in the Bible. The, rap the word rapture isn't in the Bible. But when you talk about the, when we say rapture, what do we mean? Well, we're talking about a, or, or referring to a term called caught up. And most people who study the Bible would understand the term rapture. But some people wanting to disprove this says, well, rapture's not in there. We're not going to be caught up. No, we absolutely will be caught up. But a lot of people that study this could just call it the rapture. So, caught up. Let's define this term. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 through 17, it says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead, those Christians who have died and they're in the grave already, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There it is, the term caught up. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So it is going to be a physical catching away of a specific group of individuals people who have been born again and made themselves ready to go, when that trumpet sounds, dead in Christ rise first, we are alive and remain, be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, in verse 17 here, the term caught up in the original Greek is harpazo, which means to seize or to snatch out of or away, to snatch away. To catch up. And 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 33, uh, the Apostle Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not all of us are going to pass. It is appointed unto man once to die, unto mankind as a whole. But there will be some people, if you read all the scriptures, there will be some people that go in the rapture that didn't die. But the, Bible, uh, the Apostle Paul said, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead shall be, rise, shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality. So it's the time when we're all changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, those that have been born again, and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Matthew uh, 24, 30 through 31, Jesus spoke and he said, and he's talking, it, this is the Olivet Discourse, he's talking about things that will happen right here at the end of the age. And he's, the Bible says, um, and then shall appear the sign of the, of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with uh, uh, the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 
they're going to be caught up to meet Him in the clouds. We just read that over in 1 Corinthians. So the term caught up, commonly referred to as the rapture, is the event where the Lord will come in the clouds, send His angels with the sound of a great trumpet, gather the saints to Him. We know from Revelation 19 that we're gathered to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky, and then we go straight to fight on behalf of Israel with the Lord at the Battle of Armageddon. It's one continuous event there. And it is at that time when the saints will be changed from mortal beings to immortal beings, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So that's the term caught up. It's commonly referred to as the rapture. Even though the word rapture is not in the Bible, there will be a catching away someday. Oh, don't you want to be a part of that? I'm doing, my, I'm doing everything I have to do to be ready for that. I will not, that is one trip you can't, that's one bus ride you can't miss. Be late for a bus down on the corner tomorrow morning going to work, but you can't be late for that. When that happens, your feet have to leave the ground. So very, very, very important, the catching away, commonly referred to as the rapture. The law of sin and death, that's the next term that I want to give you a definition for because everybody for a certain period of time in your life was under the law of sin and death. But sometimes I've talked to um, or, or mentioned it maybe to a pastor or something like that and their eyes glaze over. And you would think, well, the pastors know about all this stuff, but not all of them do. And many, many people don't. The law of sin and death, what in the world does that mean? Well, there is a law called the law of sin and death, and it originated back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God said to Adam and Eve, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's, um, what, Genesis 2, 17. God was warning Adam and Eve that when they chose disobedience instead of obedience, if you choose that, you're going to die. So, did they die the day that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, they did not. They did not die physically, but they died spiritually. They lost something. They lost sonship. Another verse expresses the law of sin and death. It's called, um, and it's found in where? Uh, Ezekiel 18, verse 4. It says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also is the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, here it is. This is the law of sin and death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Everyone in the world... From Adam until today, everybody listening to me has lived under the law of sin and death for a certain period of time in your life, except for one group of people, and that's those who are rescued from this law by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus came to provide an escape route from the law of sin and death. So since all have sinned, we are, we, we are all under the sentence of death, right? 
But God didn't want us to die. He wanted us to have eternal life. And God originally intended for human beings to live forever. And in loving us, this, that, I mean, with my finite mind, I cannot comprehend the love of God. I know God loves me and I love Him. But really, it's almost impossible for me to comprehend the love of an almighty God that would come and die for me even though I was a sinner. It's incomprehensible to me with my finite mind. Maybe someday when I get off into eternity, I'll be able to understand it. But in loving us so much, God created, He came to earth and to create a plan to deliver us from the law of sin and death. The plan is called being born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man's born again, he can't enter or see the kingdom of God. This was God's plan to redeem the human race. You, the Bible says you can be reconciled to God. Adam and Eve lost sonship. There were no more human sons of God in the Old Testament until Jesus Christ. There were the sons of God who were angels. In Job chapter 1, the Bible says the sons of God appear before God to give an account and Satan was with them. But they were angelic beings. There were no more physical human sons of God until Jesus Christ came. And He came to reconcile. The Bible says that He came to reconcile us unto God. And you can do that by being born again. Very, very important, by the way. It's of utmost importance. The next term I wanted to go through that uh, many people don't understand is in the book of Revelation, the seven stars and the seven golden candlesticks in Revelation. What does that mean? What's that have to do? I mean, uh, if, you, if you read through there and you don't understand it, you're going to think that it's physically seven golden candlesticks and seven stars, right? I mean, if you read through the Bible and you've never had anybody teach you these things, that you're going to be going... Uh, seven stars and seven messengers and candlesticks and what in the world's going on here? Well, the, in Revelation, the seven stars are seven angels or messengers. The messenger is referring to the pastor of the church. You understand that John here is being given seven messages to seven churches that were on the earth at the time John was out exiled out on the Isle of Patmos. Back in that era, 2,000 years ago. These were physical churches that were on the earth. This is not referring to the church ages. It's referring to physical churches. So the seven stars are the seven angels or messengers. The messengers referring to the pastor of the church. The seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So it's not seven physical candlesticks sitting out there on the Isle of Patmos with John. If you read it, then you can think, well, hey, there's seven physical candlesticks. But once you understand the interpretation, this really starts to make sense. So if you understand, <clears throat> the oil flows through the candlestick in the same way uh, when you talk about the um, tabernacle plan or the temple plan, the, the candelabras. The oil flows through the candlesticks in the same way that God's Spirit flows through the churches. And it is important to, to notice the emphasis God places on pastors here. 
especially since many people today say, well, I, I, don't, I just don't need a pastor. I'll do my own thing and I'm, I'm good. Some even say they don't need a church. However, once an individual is saved, okay, you become part of the body of Christ. And pastors are very important and they're, they're given to us by God. And God Almighty established His church in the earth. And He wanted you to be a part of that church. You say, well, I'm part of the church, but I don't really feel like I need to sit under a pastor or go to a church. You really do need to. God instituted the church. You're part of the body of Christ. You need to be part of a, a group of like-minded individuals. In other words, it's like a physical body. Think of, your, think of your body right now. I have five fingers, five toes. If I cut my index finger off and laid it over here on the table, the body would survive. Now, it would be painful to lose one of the members, right? But the body would survive, but the finger would die because it's isolated by itself. It's not getting messages from the head. And it's not getting blood flow and oxygen and everything it needs to survive. So the finger would die, but the body would live on. Well, in a church setting, God is the head. God's the head of the church. And the Bible says, I will, uh, the, um, God said back in Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah 3.15, And I will give you pastors according to my own heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So, God chose a, a flock and He chose a shepherd for the flock. And God, the Bible says, I will choose you. And so, if you sit under a God-called pastor that can feed you with knowledge and understanding to protect the flock, to help you understand the Word of God, to help you navigate some different situations in your life, to help disciple you and help you to help you on your spiritual journey to make it to heaven. I mean, I have had pastors that were very, I've sat under two pastors in my life. Irvin Baxter, which was my father-in-law, and then D.G. Hargrove in Garland, Texas, where I sit now. They both have been very influential in my spiritual walk with God. And I'm very, very thankful for them. I don't see it as a, a boss or a, uh, some kind of a, 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 this uh, weird dynamic where somebody's trying to lord over me. Pastors have not been that to me. Pastors have helped me in my spiritual journey. It's been awesome. Some of my most closest relationships have been my pastor. So you need to be part of a church. You need to sit under a pastor. That's got the way God designed His church. And so, very, very important that we, un now you see how important it is to understand some of these things. And so, want to make sure that we're getting it. And so, we'll, we'll get a little, maybe a little more into the candlesticks and the, um, the different things when we get back here. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, part two. The late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. 
These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. When we're talking about the stars and the candlesticks in Revelation 1, many people believe this was written to the seven pastors of the seven churches of Asia Minor. The seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. In the, in the Old Testament, the oil flowed through the candlestick uh, and the fire used the oil to produce light. God help us if we uh, to always have God's Spirit flowing through our churches today or else we will have churches filled with darkness. There's no light in the church. This church is dark. They, they're not teaching the full truth here. It's, it's darkness. The Spirit flows through the churches and the angels are the, the God-called ministers. Okay? So, again, once you understand these different terms, it helps you in many ways. The timing of things, the, the event itself, uh, how this can help me spiritually on my uh, discipleship um, educational journey here. So, certainly want to understand these terms as we read through the Bible. The next one we'll go through is the 24 elders. Uh, the uh, Bible says, um, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed with white raiment, and they had on their heads a crowns of gold. That's uh, Revelation 4, verse 4. The twenty-four elders were clothed in white and given crowns of gold. What does the white raiment mean? Because these, all these clues help us to figure out who these people are, right? Revelation 7, 13-14 reveals the answer. It says, And one of the elders answered and said unto John, What are these which are arrayed, arrayed in white robes? Where'd they come from? And John said to him, In other words, I don't know, that, sir, thou knowest. And the elder looked back at John and said, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The 24 elders were wearing white robes because they had been washed with the blood of the Lamb. 
So these, all these clues help us to understand who they are. They have been cleansed and been given the righteousness which only comes from Jesus Christ through His blood. The only way anyone can stand before God without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, which is what the Bible says we will do, is not to have our own righteousness. We must be washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. The 24 elders sat around the throne in white robes because they had been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Then Revelation 5, 8 through 10, it tells us the 24 elders were redeemed by the Lamb, which means they had partaken of the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's how you become redeemed, right? Uh, the Bible says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and a, a golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So your prayers are being stored up. You say, well, I, man, I prayed that ten years ago and nothing ever happened. Hold on. Your prayers are being stored up for a certain period of time. The Bible says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. And thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, people, tongue, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So we know that 24 elders are part of the redeemed and they will reign as kings and priests with Jesus Christ on the earth. Jesus said, well, except a man be, and this is in his kingdom, the 1,000 year millennial reign. Well, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's John 3, 3. So these have been partakers of the salvation of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. The scripture also tells us the 24 elders will be part of the first resurrection. In uh, Revelation 20, verse 4 and 6, John said, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had they received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is just groups included in that. But the, the Bible says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The, 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 the same thing that Revelation 5, 10 was referring to. Rule and reign with Him on the earth. So this passage describes those who will be partakers in the first resurrection. Then it says they are the ones who will reign with Christ for a thousand years. However, chapter 4 says the 24 elders will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So from these scriptures we can clearly see that all who are in the first resurrection will rule and reign with Jesus Christ during the 1,000 year reign on the earth. The first resurrection takes place at the end of the great tribulation. Verse 4 says, um, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus Christ. This is uh, Revelation 20 verse 4. They did not take the mark, nor did they worship the beast. 
So these are the ones who will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The 24 elders will reign with Jesus on the earth during His kingdom soon to come and they will be redeemed ones. Now, the New Jerusalem. Let's talk about that term in the Bible. The New Jerusalem. We know there's a physical Jerusalem over here about, what, 7,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean, across the Mediterranean Sea. There's this little nation, and it has a little city in it called Jerusalem. But the Bible talks about the New Jerusalem. So are they the same thing? Are they different? Well, they're absolutely different. We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, that the church is the bride of Christ. Paul said to the Corinthian church, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 9 and 10, John was told, Come hither, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. So who's the bride, the Lamb's wife? We know that's the church, right? So, John, Revelation 21, 9 and 10, Come hither, I'm going to show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. John says, okay, let's go. I know who that is. And he carried, the Bible says, He carried me away into the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and He showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. You say, whoa, 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 hold on, you just lost me there. The bride is the church. Well, you're going to find out that's also the New Jerusalem. Earlier in the chapter, John called the city he saw the New Jerusalem. This passage tells us that the New Jerusalem is the bride, the church. You can go read it for yourself, Revelation chapter 21. In describing the New Jerusalem, we are told there are 12 foundations and 12 gates. The names of the 12 apostles are written on the 12 foundations and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are written in the 12 gates. From these things, we conclude that the, the 24 elders are representative of the New Jerusalem or the church. Remember, we are, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay? Remember, we're not just looking at one verse or set of verses. We're looking at all the verses that pertain to this topic. It is very difficult. Many times it would be impossible to get the true definition of these terms in the Bible unless you look at every verse that pertains to this topic. Now some of them, they're really easy to understand. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm He who was alive, was dead, and now I'm alive forevermore. That's Jesus Christ. I mean, that's easy. Who else has been alive, or, uh, alive, dead, and now He's alive forevermore? It's Jesus Christ. But some of them are just a little more difficult to figure out. And you got to go over here and pull this verse. you got to go pull that one. And, oh, what well, now that one over there says that. Look at that one. And then what about this one back here? 
once you get all the verses and tie them all together, then you can say, oh my goodness, I finally understand this stuff. Well, hopefully that's what I'm helping you to do on this program. The book of Revelation is written in symbols. And as we go through a study here of some of these different terminologies, some of them are, are written in symbols. And so these symbols come together, though, when you pull in all these verses. And it is similar to pieces of a big puzzle. If I was working a puzzle here on my desk, there, it would be impossible for, for me to see the entire picture unless I had all the pieces, right? Those are the verses. We're unable to see the big picture when we begin, but when we find all the pieces, then it all fits perfectly. And then another piece fits. And finally, all the pieces come together and we have the big picture, right? So that's why it's of importance that we go into all these great details, pulling all the verses together. Let's talk next about the, the seven spirits of God. Have you wondered about that? The seven spirits of God. Now, I've got to be totally honest with you on this one. I'm not sure that I can totally provide a conclusive definition for this. I mean, I wish there was a verse that said, hey, these are the, these are the seven spirits of God and that's all and there's no more. And, but you'll find if you try to figure this out that there's more. So I'm not 100% sure I can conclusively define this one. But I wanted to tell you what we do know because it might help you. Returning to Revelation, um, what, 4, 5. John said, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, now you say, well, I know what that is. Hold on. If we recreate the scene in our minds, seven spirits of God. I mean, it's a, John saw some crazy stuff, right? John's in heaven. Now, he's seeing a vision. He's not in heaven at this point. He's just seeing a vision. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's receiving visions from God. He's writing them down. So John is, has a vision. He's in heaven, and he sees one on the throne. He sees one sitting on a throne, and he sees 24 seats. He sees 24 elders sitting on the 24 seats, which are apparently the 12 apostles and the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel. And this is symbolic of the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. Okay? But now, you see, when you, when, because it's so detailed here, once you get into the details, it's very, very important, isn't it? Because you can, you can read through the Bible and say, oh man, what in the world does this mean? But once you pull everything together, it, it changes the way you'll read your Bible. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began the ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. 
We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. So in trying to define the seven spirits of God, John sees a, a vision of heaven here, one on the throne, 24 seats, 24 elders, but he also sees something else in this whole scenario. He sees seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. The seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. So when we talk about these seven spirits of God, what in the world is that? Does God have seven spirits? In one point, the Bible says God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So does, is God divided up into seven spirits? No, that's not what it's talking about. Isaiah mentions the, the different spirits of God. The Bible says, And the spirit, of the, the spirit of the Lord rested upon Him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, uh, spirit of uh, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and, the, and of the fear of the Lord. That's Isaiah 11 too. The, the first portion of this verse is a prophecy concerning Jesus' first coming. If we consider each of them a, uh, as separate spirits, there are a total of seven listed here in this passage. There, however, you say, well, that solves it right there, right? Well, I wish it did. There is another possible explanation. If we assume the spirit of wisdom and understanding is one spirit, the spirit of counsel and might is one spirit, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord is one spirit. Well, we can then say these are three of the seven spirits of God because there are four other spirits of God mentioned in Scripture. John 14, 17 talks about the spirit of truth. It says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. The spirit of truth. So is that another one? Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it tells us about the spirit of faith. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. So... There's another one, the spirit of faith. Paul speaks of the spirit of holiness in Romans 1.4. He says, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You say, man, I thought I had it all figured out in Isaiah. Revelation 19 lists the seventh spirit. If, if, we, if we understand it from this perspective... John said, and I fell at his feet to, the, to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I'm, thou fellow, I'm thy uh, fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
So, whoever is showing John around was not supposed to be worshipped. But look closely at the, at the last portion of this scripture. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, I, I wish I could nail it down for you. Um, we can nail it down pretty close. Because there's not 10,000 of them mentioned in scripture. But I, 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 I don't know if I, sh if I just had, if I could nail it down. But we've got it very close here. But whatever conclusion that we reach as to exactly how to define these seven spirits, the Bible says they were lamps and the seven spirits of God gave us light. So you can take that to the bank, but um, I'm not so sure I can define specifically the seven spirits because of the scenario that I just gave you. Um, and, but I want you to understand from my perspective uh, the best I can do there, okay? The four living creatures. This is the one that is, perplexes a lot of people. What are the, you know, when I get to heaven, are we going to see this? Is it going to be scary? Are we going to see these weird looking creatures running around? No. The, the Bible says, or, um, so when we're talking about the four living creatures, they're revealed in Revelation 4, 6, uh, 4, chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. John said, and he, so he's seeing future visions here of heaven. And he says, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts. Okay? Now, a lot of people, if you read this as literal, you're going to be scared to death to go to heaven. But that's not the way it is going to be. Bible says there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast was like a calf. And the third beast had a face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now, that would be, imagine. What in the world does this verse mean? Well, we know a beast in Bible prophecy in most cases refers to a nation along with the ruler of that nation. The Greek word used in that way is therion. Okay? This is, this, is, this is going to be the whole definition here. It helps you to figure it out. The Greek word used in that way is therion when it refers to a nation. It means a dangerous animal or a wild beast here. But in Daniel 7, when it's referred to the nations and things, um, that's where the four beasts and the word therion is used, which means nations. However, the same word is not used in Revelation 4 when it's talking about those beasts. The original word was not therion. The original word is zoa, Z-O-A, which means living things or living creatures. So we've got to get this right here. We've got to understand some things. I'm not a Greek scholar, but sometimes you've got to go back and look at a word here and there to say, I've got to know the, 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 what, what was the writer? How were they interpreting this? Okay, and But you, I want to tell you, you do not have to be a Greek scholar to figure all this stuff out. Occasionally, I'll go look up a, a, a word in the Greek to kind of get a little better meaning or help me to understand a little better so I can help you guys out. And my father-in-law, Irvin Baxter, did that for decades and really helped us out. You really, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to figure this out. The, 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 
God did not want us to be confused about what was in the Bible. It's not confusing. And so, because our, this is the words to eternal life right here. They're in this book. And so God did not make it to be confusing. But some things you need to seek for. You know, ask and knock and seek, right? And so, you know, the, the plan of salvation, I mean, it's plain as day in here. But in some of these things, you gotta, you got to dig a little deeper. And that's what we're doing today, right? Some of the more modern translations here translate this as, um, I saw four living creatures. The term beast is not used because it is not the same word at all in Daniel 7 and in Revelation here. So we will see the term therion in, uh, when you get over into like uh, Revelation 13 where it refers to the world government and the Antichrist and the Antichrist himself. Then that's the, now we're getting back into where Daniel 7. This is a totally different from the living, that, that Revelation 13, totally different from the living creatures. What do the four living creatures represent? Well, John said, and the four beasts, these living creatures, remember, had uh, each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. That's Revelation 4, 8 through 9. Well, each of these four living creatures have wings and they're full of eyes. And Revelation 5, 6 says the eyes represent the spirits of God, so they are full of the Spirit of God. The same picture is found in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 5. Ezekiel said also, Out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. God wants us to understand these symbols because He placed them in the final book of the Bible. And the, and the, the, with the book of Revelation. And as a reminder, the, uh, one of the beasts had the face of a, of a man. Later in Ezekiel, we find the, the following passage. It says, um, And everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled with the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. And, their four, and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. And they turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward as for the likeness of their faces. They, had, they, they four had the face of a man face of a lion. On the right side they four had the face of an ox. On the left side and they four also had the face of an eagle. That's Ezekiel um, 1, 6-10. So these are the same creatures seen in Revelation 4. The creatures had the face of an ox or, or a calf, an eagle, a man, and a lion. The same four faces in Ezekiel 1 are found in Revelation chapter 4. So obviously they're the same creatures, right? 
well, what are, the, what are these living creatures? I mean, that's the point. Do I want to go to heaven and see all these crazy creatures running around? I mean, if I had to, I would because I'm going to heaven. But it still would be, wow, man, it just seems like all these weird creatures. No. What are these living creatures? Well, Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 20, it tells us. It says, this is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river of Chebar, but I knew that they were cherubims. So, the cher- these beasts are cherubims. And of course we know that cherubims are a special order of angels. In uh, Revelation 4, John saw this order of angels giving glory to God, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Remember, John's in heaven for, uh, for the first time in his life, and he's receiving all these amazing visions. And so when he sees these beasts, he's, it's the same thing Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel 1, and then in verse 10, Ezekiel tells us what they really are. They're angels. And so they're cherubim. It's a special order of angels. And so it really helps us to understand things. Once we get through some of the terminology, I, I don't really want to skip over it. I don't want to read through the Bible and say, I don't really understand. I don't understand that one and that one over there. Man, I don't, wow, all these terms in the Bible, I don't understand them. I want to dig a little deeper and make sure that I understand these things because I want to know myself. I want to be able to teach others. And it helps me when I read the Bible that I know there's not going to be any weird beast in heaven. There's angels up there. And they're going to be saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And guess what? Me and you are going to be doing that as well when I get up there. I'm going to be worshiping around the throne, praising Jesus Christ, loving Him, and spending eternity with Him. And I'm so thankful for that. How can I do that? Because I've been born again. If you haven't been born again, be born again today. Make sure you're prepared for His second coming.